Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim today, and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve those brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk to our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Welcome to Retention Chronicles. So excited for our guest today. I know Noah and I have both been looking forward to this a lot. So Andy, hello. Thank you for joining. Andy is the Senior Director of Strategy at Tomorrow Agency. Noah, do you want to kick us off with this episode? Okay, let's just dive in. Let's do it. What, what, right, makes, this week, what makes this week so crazy for you all? Oh, we've just got a lot going on. Uh, you know, we've got... Um, which is is great but it's i think part of um being in um like an exciting fast growing business is just there's there's always stuff going on and um you know q4 is like what 10 days away now and uh so with our clients being primarily in the retail vertical it's that's kind of like, that's the end all be all for 2022 is making sure that you hit Q4. So we've just got a lot of um, projects that are kind of going on concurrently. We've got a lot of, um, I've personally got a lot of research projects that I'm trying to get, uh, get wrapped up here in the next week. We've got an onsite that uh, is happening in New York uh, next week. And, you know, I haven't traveled since COVID started. So, uh, wow. Well, that's not, I mean, I've traveled for personal, personal, but I haven't like traveled for business since COVID started. And so like, uh, we were talking on, uh, Slack about travel and like, I was like, how, how do, how do I do this? What are the, what are the rules <laughs> for traveling? Like, what do people, what do, what do people wear? Like, I don't even know. Like it's been yeah. so long since I've interacted with a client in like a real physical space. Uh, so that's been a trip, like trying to figure out all that stuff. And, uh, I had to figure out my uh, oh TSA pre-check number again. Uh, right. you know, just all the stuff that goes with it. So, uh, yeah, just just a lot, man. Just a lot going on, which is which is that, fun, uh, but it also you know makes it tough to to balance some things sometimes. And of course, this is the week my mom decided to come to town to visit. So, uh, that, of course, you know, throw that on throw that on there too. I love seeing my mom, but uh, you know, it's just another thing that we got to balance. It's stressful hosting, like anyone. So, right. yeah. yeah. Did you well, get that then, question? You know, did you get that question answered of what's where? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, at, at these events. Uh, so, so I let me see if I can find it because it was funny. The uh, we were talking through it on Slack, and uh, one of the guys I work with was like, "Oh, I don't know, business casual, I guess." And I was like, "I don't. What is that? What mean even anymore? is that? Like, yeah. what is that?" Is that sweatpants? I don't like, I have no idea. Like, and uh, so I think we decided that like jeans are okay. And I think it's going to be cool enough in New York to where I can wear a sweater, but like, I don't know. 
So I don't know. It feels like that's kind of go to, like you can't really go too wrong with that, but I'm definitely not showing up in a suit. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. I think those days are behind most of us. Um, Uh, I hope so. So I haven't done a ton of travel, but I have done some since COVID and I even did some, I think like in the in-between period of the, the variant where like things open back up for a month or two and just, it, it's definitely like an adjustment, <laughs> like brace yourself a little bit, give yourself some grace. Cause it's like, a you know, it's like almost like, you know, you got to practice that kind of stuff to, to be comfortable in those environments. I feel like, and it's definitely an adjustment getting back, but we're going to uh, New York for a tennis conference in two weeks. So we're just going to miss oh, nice. it. Um, but yeah, that'll be the first one we've done first big conference we've done since shop talk which was the second week i started and i was asked to go on like the saturday after my first week and i left the, the next day i think to vegas so yeah, i was awesome. thrown into it uh <laughs> but it was awesome it was uh yeah there's nothing like like building relationships in person and especially for you this is a, a great segue like you aren't uh you haven't been at tomorrow for super long right so Mm-mm. um so this will be the first time meeting the team in person i would imagine and and all that yeah kind of stuff. yeah i mean which makes like my clothing selections even more important even more that, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, i've got two sets of people i've got to impress um no i've i've been with tomorrow since may and so this will be the first time that i've met most of the folks uh off camera uh, one of the one of the women that I used to work with at, at my last company uh, actually told me about the opportunity at tomorrow, and so I've I've seen her in person before, uh, but everybody else this will be the the first time. So uh, it's exciting, you know. It's been gosh four months now where I've just been you know building relationships over Zoom and Google Hangout or what you know whatever whatever the tool that we're using is and uh it's exciting to be able to get an opportunity to actually kind of shake hands and i just don't like i don't feel you can form those like really deep relationships with people over zoom like i just i just don't feel like you can do it like you gotta break bread with people and shake their hands you know and like actually like get to know them as people and um i'm excited about that because that's something that uh it's probably the only thing I miss about going into the office is like actually seeing people and talking to people and like being able to interact with, with people in real life. So it'll be nice to get back into that mix a little bit. Um, but then also be able to come back to my, uh, to my house and work yeah. there after the, the week's over. So after the fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was just telling somebody this, uh, like last week I was saying that I just mentioned the shop talk trip it was my second week and a ton of our partners were there and I really feel like we would not have been able to move as fast as we did in building the program. If I didn't get that FaceTime with them early on, like it just, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, I can't build relationships over zoom or over Slack or whatever, but I feel like the, no matter what, like the, the relationship is up leveled when you meet in person yep. <laughs> and it, it allows you to like build trust and then, work more collaboratively um toward like a common goal once you've sort of established that so i couldn't agree more that'll be that'll be a great experience for you i'm sure as it was for for me early on um but yeah i i feel like uh 
like actual relationships and like your connection with people is filled in in the time like between meetings on your calendar you know what i mean yeah. it's not like in those actual yeah. meetings but that space that exists between there where you're like oh i've got 15 minutes let's go get a cup of coffee or let's you know, right. sit around and shoot the breeze like that's where relationships are formed and when you're on zoom it's like i've got a great relationship with my cat right now that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like that's about it you know like like my dogs are okay but uh you know other than that like it's uh and i'm i, sh I say that jokingly because i've got a great relationship digitally with the folks that i work with and we're all remote so everybody's kind of accustomed to it mm. um but yeah just getting that kind of like that feel for who they are as a person is is going to be real cool yeah. absolutely i do love good office chit chat I, yeah i think like too if i'm just gonna add on to what you both have been saying of like i think it's just the acceleration of building relationships if you're in person it just happens a lot quicker like i think yeah. the building the relationships is definitely possible via zoom and now everyone's accustomed to it um but i think the acceleration is like the part that i also love like andy and noah used to talk to me about yeah yeah no sure. exactly yeah, Mariah is at our office right now, which is like a mile away from my house. And I think she she goes in two, two or three times a week and I go in like maybe twice a month. So yeah. um, <laughs> I'm committed to the office. Yeah. I, I, I might awesome. see Mariah more like, you know, out on a weekend than I do <laughs> in, in Indianapolis than I do at the office. But um, yeah. it's nice to have that opportunity when you want to get some FaceTime with the team. My problem is I'm not sure just in. like, yeah, in, in Indy. Um, yeah, I was uh, – so sports betting just became legal in Kansas. Oh, like, wow. This, okay. And so I was, like, thinking of – and I got – like, I don't know if you guys have sports betting in, in like, yeah. Indy. Okay. Like, every like every sports betting company is, like, I would like to give you $200 for free. And I'm, like, yeah. how is this even, like, possible? Right. <laughs> and so, anyways, like, I got suckered into something, and I had $25 to bet. And I was going to bet on the lowest scoring team – in the NFL uh, for this oh. last week. And like the one team the I was Colts. not going to pick was the Colts. <laughs> like I just wasn't <laughs> going to do it, but uh, I would have won a lot of money if I would have picked them. Yeah. Zero big old goose egg. I yeah, see your, your boys are two and oh though the chiefs, which is good. Yeah. Off we had a knock down drag out on Thursday. It was a, uh, the chargers are legit, man. So Bang. it was uh I, I was happy that we walked away from that one because we've been, they beat us uh, the last two times at home, I think. So it was nice, nice. to, uh, to be able to stop that streak. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. It, uh, Mariah, we can probably just like somehow figure out how to work the NFL into the name of this podcast. Cause I think it's probably going to be a recurring theme. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to uh, be like, yep. Uh-huh. I like this. <laughs> Building relationships, yep, that's all me. NFL, got nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Just smile and nod, yep. Yeah, exactly, yep. Colts, I know they're our team here in Indy. The max I would know is Notre Dame football, but that's really still a small sliver of my knowledge. <laughs> Not too much. But we should work, we should work on the title. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, so... You mentioned four months at Tomorrow. Would love to hear like a little bit about your career progression leading up to this role and now um, overseeing strategy at Tomorrow. Um, what all you're responsible for? Yeah. Um, I've had kind of a crazy 
crazy path. I, I guess nobody really has a normal path to where they end up, but uh, my dad was kind of a serial entrepreneur when I was growing up. And so he owned a company that sold uh, janitorial supplies. So his, his saying was, you know, like everybody can decide that they don't need a bicycle or a car, but everybody's always going to need toilet paper. So uh, that's, that's, <laughs> sure. what, that's what oh, he boy. sold. Um, it was, I was actually talking to, uh, to a company that sold toilet paper at one point and uh, they were like, you know, the, the market penetration for every product is not 100% and that includes toilet paper. So I was like, that's uh terrifying and disgusting at the same time. Um, but he, uh, so like, you know, when I was 13, I was working cleaning the office that he had and I just kind of grew up through the family business and he, uh, moved into the shoe business at one point. And so I started working in, in our shoe stores that we had. So we had five retail shoe stores and over the course of, Oh gosh, from the time I was 17 till I was 35. So I guess almost 20 years, I worked in the shoe business. And at the end, I was uh, running all of our businesses. And we were competing pretty heavily against Amazon and Zappos at that mm. point. And um, as you might imagine, they were winning. And so my <laughs> brother and I uh, decided that we should try to figure out how to sell stuff online. And so we... Um, I think I Googled like at one point, like the name of our ERP and open source or something like that, uh, open source e-commerce and Magento came up. Okay. And so uh, my brother and I, and we didn't know PHP, XML, HTML, CSS, nothing. Uh, and so he and I worked for about six months and built a Magento site, got it tied into our ERP, got uh, orders coming through, uh, emails going out. I mean, basically set up like a whole digital ecosystem um, and uh, started selling stuff online. So that was kind of my first foyer into selling things online. Um, and was that, and, uh, was that the shoes only? Yeah. Or did you kind of yeah, shoes only. And, okay. Yeah. And unfortunately it wasn't the silver bullet that we needed it to be. We didn't become the next Zappos, um, <laughs> but we, uh, I ended up needing another job and found uh, a place up here in Kansas city that was a Magento shop. And so I started as a, a business analyst and then kind of worked my way through from the technical side, you know, defining database fields and how this form needs to work and how, you know, user stories and all of that through to um, our strategy practice and uh, went into our strategic planning group, which was kind of cross channel, like looking at from acquisition, engagement, retention, like all sides of the funnel and what we need to do within each one of the channels that we're operating in, in order to execute campaigns and then effectively execute things on the website. Uh, and so spent a lot of time doing that and working with, you know, some really uh, uh, great fortune 500 brands, trying to bring some of their um, uh, D to C aspirations to life. And then I moved into uh, our director position of e-commerce and was kind of leading up that team and working on the strategy component uh, and our strategy offering there as well. And there's a lot of consolidation that was happening in the industry mm -hmm. at that time. And we got acquired and uh, it just wasn't quite the fit that I was looking for. And so um, my friend that was at my last company ended up going over to tomorrow. And she uh, actually, one of our friends that still worked at the company I was at said, 
hey, I heard from Sarah that, that this thing is open. And so mm-hmm. I uh, looked at it and it was kind of uh, history from there. So got to interview with Joe and Marco and Olivia, who are the, the co-founders of the company, and uh, just really enjoyed chatting with them and the direction that they were going with things and uh, came on board back in, uh, back in May. Yeah, we, we met Marco a couple months ago. He's an awesome guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that is quite the story. I'm curious how, um, like in, in all of your experience, how you ended up like gaining the technical knowledge to take on that first analyst role. Cause it sounds like if you were, you know, involved in like, uh, data formatting and all that stuff, uh, building out forms, like you picked up some technical prowess along the way. So like, what do you attribute that to? Or did you just, once you got that role, like figure it out once you got there? (laughs) I, um, I'm surprised that like my head is still round. Cause like I bang <laughs> my head against the wall all the time. So like, I'll just sit there and I will do something over and over and over again until I get it figured out. I, my wife, we lived in Wichita when I worked for my, my, uh, family's business. And there was one time where my wife and I were driving up to Kansas city to we were going to a concert, I think. And, um, she was driving the car and I had my laptop open and I was literally reading the Magento manual as we oh. were driving, like, like the handbook for Magento. And I don't, I just read a lot and I, I'm not overly scared to try things. And so, um, you know, I'll read and try something out and see what happens. And uh, if it doesn't work the way that I want it to, then I'll try it again. And, you know, at some point I'll either say, well, this is, uh, an absolutely colossal waste of time and I'll stop doing it uh, or uh, you know, I'll end up with something pretty cool. So, and, and a lot of the time I end up with something that's pretty cool, but I got to admit there is a lot of the time where it ends up being a colossal waste of time, but at least I've learned something in the process. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, running your own businesses sort of force you to have that mindset of like, there is no other option, but to just dig in and figure this out. Yeah. Um, I mean, when your mom's sitting there telling you to do something, you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll figure out how to do that. (laughs) So that's the real motivator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like just remembering when she, when I didn't do what she asked when I was a child, Oh, okay, well I'll, I'll do that now, mom. You got it. And now she's there visiting this week and nothing's changed, I'm sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Now I just have to drive her around. That's the right. sort of her driving me around. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, so let's let's shift focus a little bit to tomorrow. Um, you're there now, been there for four months. Uh, talk a little bit about your role and sort of like what you feel makes tomorrow unique. Obviously, like for us, we, we partner with a lot of agencies. Um, we focus on sort of the top tier Shopify and Klaviyo shops. Um, so obviously like, you know, building your way up or your reputation up in those ecosystems and getting the badges and all that is great. But like, we're really, we're really curious to know what uh, our agency partners that come on the podcast, like really truly feel their, their differentiator is in the space, uh, given that it's so crowded. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a couple, um, we really are aligned well with in enterprise methodology to delivering our work to our clients. Um, that was the thing that really attracted me to tomorrow. I mean, I'd been working with 
large brands for a long time. And um, typically when you think about Shopify, that hasn't been the the first thing mm-hmm. that comes to mind, right? Like it's, it's typically been like, oh, the guy down the street needs to start selling, you know, his soap online or whatever. And so he goes to Shopify, but I think Shopify is doing a great job of positioning themselves to really be the, uh, the easy solution for companies that are looking to go direct to consumer to, Mm -hmm. to have that Avenue and not have to spend an exorbitant amount of money to, to get to the place to where they can actually have those transactions going through. Um, And so, uh, you know, from, from the tomorrow perspective, having that enterprise level methodology that we've brought from uh, other disciplines. So Magento and Salesforce Commerce Cloud into the Shopify uh, ecosystem, I think has really been a breath of fresh air for some of those clients that are used to working that way, but haven't necessarily had the avenue through an agency to, to actually be able to operate in that capacity. So that's been, uh, I think that's been a big point of differentiation for for us, um, you know, I think there's also this um, there's this really unique confluence of skills that we're building that is like really great creative uh, that's being driven by Marco and his team, and then really great technology that's being driven through Olivia and her team, and then really great strategy and analytics that's being driven through Joe and his team, and so I'm really you know, proud of the fact that I get to um, help them build out those capabilities. And what we're working on now is is a very strategically led way of going about guiding our clients to the work that we should do next for them. So there's, you know, there's the whole goal of like, I need to build a website. And everybody that comes to us is hoping to build a website, but that's really getting you to the starting line, right? That's not actually running the race. And so I think where we really excel is the ability to understand what our clients are looking to do and then work with them across all of our different disciplines to build out a really robust roadmap that will help drive them towards those success metrics that they've identified. And so part of that is just like having smart people on your team, you know, like you've got people that have experience and they've done it before and they know what's up and like how to go about getting this stuff done. But then the other side of it is having the data to support the work that they're trying to do. And so we're really working hard to build out that data infrastructure to allow us to, one, recognize the decisions that need to be made, and then two, make the decisions in a way that uh, ins- not ensures, but helps helps ensure, uh, I'll say the, uh, the euphemistic thing there, uh, helps ensure <laughs> that our clients are moving towards the, the success that they've uh, hired us to help them achieve. Would you say the, I had the question on the top of my head when you talked about the enterprise approach, like what, what makes an enterprise approach different than like what the typical SMB and mid-market Shopify stores have done? It sounds like day, you know, a more data focused approach is part of that. Uh, Would you agree? And like, would you add anything? Yeah. So when, when I first got into the agency world, um, I had just gotten done building my brother and I had built the website that we had talked about and I was interviewing with the guy. Um, and I was actually initially interviewing for an e-commerce strategy position. And he said, well, I don't, I don't think you have enough experience in e-commerce strategy. 
but we have a business analyst position open. Would you, would you be interested in that? And I, my response to him was, I really like business and I really like analyzing things. So yes, I like, let's talk. Uh, Cause <laughs> at, that, at that point I just needed a job, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And so he started talking to me about like, oh, well, what, what documentation did you do for the website and how did you go about doing the documentation things like that? And I pointed behind me, no, I was, we didn't have like cool things like zoom at that point. Uh, and so couldn't see me but pointing behind me I said well I've got a whiteboard that's got a bunch of notes on it and that's basically what I worked off mm. of and I think like this is uh, this is anecdotal so this is not my personal mm-hmm. experience with with other development shops but a lot of times there's a level of rigor that surrounds the documentation of the work that you're actually doing that doesn't get done and so uh, when you come to a point to where you scale and you need to go to an agency and that agency needs to understand what it is that has been built on the website so that they can know what foundation they have, it's just not there. Um, there's also, I think, a lack of documentation and a lack of transparency in what is happening during the build and a lack of sign-off from the, uh, from the client often leads to a, a set of um, deliverables or a set of features that are on the website that don't match to what they're actually looking for. So, you know, you can work with them for four to six months, you deliver the website to them and they're like, what I, I needed it to do this, but it doesn't, doesn't do that. So I think that's part of it is, um, is, is the infrastructure that we have built around the, the documentation requirements, gathering, understanding what it is that you need the site to do. Mm-hmm. We also have a very uh, robust approach to the way that we handle user experience and creative. Um, and so the the way that we go about um, identifying the modules that need to be built and the ways in which they need to operate and like the, the motion elements that are associated with them, uh, all of that is really well um, executed on our team, which I think in the e-commerce space is, is fairly unique, especially with larger brands. Because uh, I think they tend to focus more on making sure this gets integrated into our ERP, and then it needs to flow to our WMS, and yeah. then it needs to go out to, uh, you know, whoever's handling our fulfillment. So, and like those are the things that people focus on, and the front end tends to get a little bit less less love in in that situation. So, I think that's the uh, the creative side, and then from the technology side, um, we have a a really experienced team that has like we're the we're basically the best devs in the shopify ecosystem if you ask me um i mean we are um we have i think more of the top 10 shopify clients at tomorrow than any other agency um we're invited to pretty much all of the the betas that they have going on for their new um features that are coming out they ask us to contribute to code review code do different things uh on the technical side. And so I think we're well positioned there from just an experience and um, uh, just like development uh, methodology to support what they're looking to do. And I don't, you know, in in a more kind of mid-tier environment, I don't think you're going to get quite that level of experience within the developers that you're going to get at tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's some great anecdotal evidence as well that you guys have carved out a great sort of like niche in the space. Um, 
And I know the first time you and I talked, I thought it was really interesting um, that, you know, we sort of reflected on like your enterprise experience and how the Shopify ecosystem is different because in the enterprise space, like there's a ton yeah. of consolidation, right? Like you can build almost everything off of Salesforce if you wanted to uh, within the Salesforce ecosystem now. They want you to think you can for sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then brands are like, well, why can't you just as my agency go build it on Salesforce? And it's like, well, right. it's just not quite that easy, right? But in Shop in the Shopify world, like there's an app for that, right? There's there's 12 different apps that tomorrow's working with, at least, I'm sure. Um, but they all offer different sort of like data sets, right? That power not just the site, but like uh the, the marketing behind it. And, uh, you know, I want to shift focus to retention here soon. Um, but yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that has been, a, has been a change for you uh, yeah. throughout the career and how you're thinking about it now that you're in the Shopify space? Uh, it was, it was a big change. And, and honestly, it wasn't one that I was really prepared for when I took this position, because I mean, I remember we worked with a client for a number of years um, and this was at my last agency and, and we built out their entire subscription program for them. Like we built them a subscription platform in Magento. And, um, you know, you think about that now and people are like, why would you do that? <laughs> and, Cause it's, you know, just like not, not our, uh, it wasn't really our bailiwick, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I don't think I realized when I came into the Shopify ecosystem, just how, ingrained the different applications were in just the functioning of the uh the website overall and so that's been really really unique and so it's been on one hand it's been um it's been great because i think there's more innovation that happens that way right like there's more competition within different parts right. of the customer experience which i think then begets more innovation within those spaces but then it's also difficult from the agency side because it's hard like not only do i have to learn shopify and all of the stuff that shopify does mm, and then yeah. all of the things that they're releasing all the time but then it's like oh yeah well there's like 15 different things that you need to learn about as well that surround shopify and all of those have really cool features and really cool reporting and really cool ways to interact with them and so it's um you know as somebody that is helping clients identify choices that need to be made and then the direction that will best help them succeed in those choices. It's, it's a big data set that we've got to kind of parse through in terms of like what things we need to pick and, and where they need to be selected from. So it's uh, it's been a big shift, but it's uh, it's exciting though. You know, it's with, with Magento and, and commerce cloud, Salesforce commerce cloud, you know, it'd be six, eight, 10, 12, 24 months before like you had something that you were able to release that was going to be able to work. And right. with Shopify, it's literally like, I just go and click that button and it's like, well, that works now, uh, right. which is awesome. Yeah. 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 With that big data set that you mentioned, like there's so many different possibilities of like applications and just the Shopify ecosystem. Have you seen any kind of patterns that have emerged in terms of what, brands come to tomorrow like to you and your team about in terms of what like success looks like to them like what um metrics they're trying to solve or is there any kind of like pattern in the enterprise space i think um yes 
conversions the one that we hear all the time you know like everybody wants more conversions and i think that's that's good well so revenue and conversions i think are are like that's that's the the end all be all right but i think when i look at it from a strategic standpoint like i'm a math nerd like at heart (laughs) and so like when i think about it in an e-commerce capacity revenue is equal to sessions times your conversion rate times your average order value and I think all of those things on the right-hand side of that formula are all intertwined, right? So it's like, I can really increase my conversion rate super high if I drop my average order value in half. People are going to be like, whoa, yeah, okay, that seems like a good deal. I'm going to buy that and conversion rate's going to go way up. Or if I yeah. increase my sessions by a lot, more than likely conversion rate's going to go down because there's not going to, there's more eyeballs on it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that more people are going to purchase. And so I think that, something that's a little bit more near and dear to my heart is a more kind of full funnel way of looking at uh, metrics. So as opposed to just really focusing on the revenue side, what can we do to focus on that acquisition, that engagement, that retention side of things? And the one that I've worked on the longest and the most has been CLB and just trying to figure out like what customer lifetime value looks like. And I'm hearing that I'm hearing CLV more and more and more uh, as I talk to clients, but there isn't really a, there's not a great and consistent way to measure it that has been established yeah. yet, especially within a retail context. So if you, if you think about like, um, I don't know, I was a customer for, I was a Sears customer at some point, like I bought stuff from Sears and then over the course of time, I stopped buying stuff from Sears. You couldn't, I couldn't tell you when I went from, yes, I am a customer at for Sears to no, I am not a customer for Sears any longer. Like, I don't know when that happened, uh, but it did. And so that kind of is a difficult thing for companies to try to reconcile with, especially within CLV. It's like, how do I recognize when a customer is no longer a customer? And then what do I do in order to uh, try to switch them back over to being a customer? I don't think Sears is going to switch me back, but you know, <laughs> at some point I'm sure they're, they're going to try um and After so hearing I, this, I, they're obviously gonna have to right, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um and so i think that 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 to me is really the like the way of understanding your business in one kind of rolled up metric and so um i i like the fact that people are talking about it more and more and more um, but I, I think there's more of a generalized understanding of what that number is as opposed to being like really specific and being able to measure and track it over time. Yeah. It's also tough because by industry too, there's so many different specifics. So like you mentioned Sears, right? Like that's like furniture. You're probably, it's probably a long um, time period between you make another repeat purchase. Right. So it's like, even by industry, it gets even more specific, but I love that you brought up that CLV point because it is hard to track, especially in retail. Or even like, um, look at Costco, right? Like I buy toilet paper from Costco. I don't know why I'm talking about toilet paper so much. I buy toilet paper from Costco frequently, you know, uh, but like I've also bought appliances from Costco, not mm-hmm. frequently. And so like even within categories within uh, retailers, there's going to be different purchase cadences within those, those different categories. So it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's hard to zero in on it and get an understanding of what it, 
needs to look like. But um, I do like the fact that people are starting to talk about it more because I think it it is something that's impactful. Yeah, I'd, I'd argue that like there is a pretty clear reason why CLV has become so much more in the forefront than ever before. And I would, I would argue that like, that's because acquisition is so much harder now, (laughs) especially in our space, in the, in the Shopify space, like it is a crowded set of merchants, right. And, um, with acquisition costs going up and it just being tougher in general, more competitive, there's a bigger focus on like retention, obviously. Um, yeah, that's what we, we focus a lot of our time and uh, effort thinking about, um, but I'm curious, like from the more holistic, including acquisition and retention, is there one, you know, coming from the math guy, like, is there one formula that you use to evaluate or that you, you know, ask clients to use to evaluate, uh, CLV across the board, or does it actually vary by client and industry vertical, uh, what have you? Yeah, I mean, I think it I think it varies, but typically if you can get a data set that is um, robust enough and has enough um, data points in it, you can kind of start to tease out what those things need to look like. And you can start using predictive elements in order to uh, predict what the CLV is going to look like for certain people. But I mean, you know, talking about retention, uh, I always like to ask people like for a value prop for their for their e-commerce site like and i always ask it specifically like what is the thing that's going to get a customer to your site to make the first purchase but more importantly what is the thing that's going to have them come back to make the second purchase Mm. because you can always buy that first purchase and you can so you know if your average order value is 140 bucks and your cost of goods sold is 70 dollars, you're going to make 70 dollars in gross profit on that transaction and you may be willing to spend $100 on media in order to get that $70 transaction. So you're going to lose 30 bucks on it, but with right. the anticipation that that person's going to come back and make subsequent purchases. So then like, what is the thing that's going to drive them to come back and make the, that second, third, fourth, and fifth purchase? And that's the hard question, right? Especially when you're working with direct to consumer companies that have been like established companies that are looking to go to direct to consumer What's the advantage that you're going to offer your customer that has not been offered from somebody like Amazon or Target or Walmart or Sears? You know, like what is that? What is that thing that you're going to provide them that they can't get somewhere else? It's not going to be pricing. Um, So like it's probably not going to be speed of delivery. And so really it has to come down to the like unique experiences that you can provide on the website that are going to keep people coming back to purchase from you in the future. And people have a really hard time kind of thinking through that because it, it flips the business model on its head. Like it moves, it moves companies from being like a wholesaler. And all I have to do is get the stuff over to target to a position of where they actually have to make their own market and then continue to like, make sure people come back to that market to get the products. Right. Yeah. I, I from uh, unique, unique experience perspective i think i know how you'll answer this but do you think about that more from like a product like how does my product stick out from what i could go buy on amazon or do you think about that more as like a user experience like when i'm shopping on the site it's different from the big box retailers or an amazon for because it's personalized in this banner 
or maybe it's yeah. a combination of both. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's, you know, th there's the endless aisles concept, um, or like the the breadth and depth of product selection. So, like if you're, I think Nike is a great example of this. They do this really well. So, if you go to Dick's uh, and you're you're buying a pair of running shoes from Nike you maybe have 12 to choose from, right? Like that are on the wall at Dick's and, you know, maybe they've got eight of them in your size. If you go to Nike uh, online, then you've probably got 60. And so like the, the breadth and depth of the product selection that they're offering is, is going to be unparalleled versus what you would be able to get at a traditional uh, retailer. So I think that's, that's one is like just making sure that you've got product that's available for, for people to buy. Um, I think the user experience part is really important, but I don't think this is one thing where I think that established companies could really pull from digitally native companies to start building out that user experience in a way that is um, unique and fresh and um, something that they're not going to be able to get at Amazon. Like it or not, Amazon has basically trained everybody on how to shop on the Internet. Mm -hmm. It's I, I go and I get a category page and then I get a product detail page and it's going to be laid out like this and the reviews are going to be at the bottom and like everybody knows that. And at some point, Amazon gets to be kind of boring. Like there's not a lot of people that want to go and just like browse Amazon because it's just that <laughs> yeah. that's kind of boring. And so like I think one thing that you can do on your site is to have that browsability component or that discoverability component to it that you're not going to be able to get from some of the competition. And so the user experience that supports that. Um, one thing that we like often talk about, and this is more for like highly considered purchases. So think about things like, oh, I don't know. Uh, mattresses are the one that, that comes to mind for me. Uh, it's like, you're going to have a mattress for like 10 years or 12 right. years, right? Like yeah. you're, and you're going to sleep on it every night. And so I think that's why mattress companies were like so popular for a while. And then Casper kind of like flipped this on its head. But what you need with a mattress is like a salesperson that's on the website that can help guide you into the mattress that makes the most sense for you. And so one thing that we think that uh, our customers can do that typically can't be replicated by Walmart or Amazon or Target in terms of a user experience um, uh type of capability is like helping customers find products really well. And so, you know, what questions would a salesperson answer mm. and how would they guide you to the product that makes the most sense for you? Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're working on building out a lot of those unique experiences on, on, um, on sites to help people get to the product that they want. And some of the stuff Shopify is doing like with react and like the headless kind of infrastructure that they're building out allows those things to be seamlessly like woven into the experience um, so like, I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff like that, that pops up to where like it moves from, uh, you know, just self-exploration to where you come to the website and the website really starts to act as the salesperson that helps guide you to the thing that you need. Yeah. I love the, I love the zero party data use cases, like basically gamifying the capture of that by, you know, unique quiz, quiz like experiences and then navigating customers through the site based on their their preferences and uh from the answers that they provided you and willfully yeah. so right like uh i think that that's going to become even more important beyond just personalization it'll probably become 
more important from like a legal and compliance standpoint as you know cookies go away and yeah and second and third party data becomes like a thing of the past um any any other tips and tricks on like personalizing the the experience and sort of how you how you think about that um for for merchants i think it's super important um my experience with personalization has been it's been tough you know i think there's a um i think there's a gap between the customer expectation and the um or even even the the merchant's expectation of personalization and what's able to currently be provided easily um and so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what advancements are going to be made there. So like when you look at things like, um, oh, how, how are CDPs going to reshape personalization on mm. in, in the onsite experience and things like that? I think that's really cool and unique, but it has to be done in a way to where there's not like the, like we worked on personalization for a company probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe before it was kind of like all, all the buzz. And we went to our client and said, okay, so we've got this great model that's built out and we think we understand how the personalization aspect needs to work and we can activate it for you on the website, but we're going to need your creative team to build out five times the assets that they're currently building. And they were like, yeah, they can barely get the number of assets out that we need right now. Yeah. I'm not going to increase it fivefold. And so, you know, I think there needs to be some solutions there in order for it to to really start to make sense like how are we going to be able to do this without forcing people to uh you know increase their workload by fivefold to make it to make it happen and i don't think we're quite there yet but i'm excited to see where that goes because that's really going to be you know I, I like that kind of your website has become your salesperson uh type of uh mm -hmm. conversation and i think that's that's it right like how do we harness the data that we have about the customers that are coming and their intentions and what they've clicked on. And, and then how do I make that into a really unique set of recommendations for what it is that they're going to want or need to purchase? Like, I think that's, that's the end all be all, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think the other, I, I love what you said about like the human resource com component and the fact that personalization does take a lot of, thinking through, I think, but like, especially in the Shopify ecosystem, all of the apps, you know, that you're plugging in across the board have some components that allow for personalization. It's just mm -hmm. about knowing how to connect the dots between them. I think that a lot of brands though, think that it's going to be a much bigger undertaking or they don't have the resources or they're not working with the right agencies. And then they result to just like focusing on, okay, what's like the average or they do some like segmentation that's pretty basic that right. ends up just like not really fitting into uh not really checking the box of of to what you said andy of like what the consumer expects from a personalized experience um and i just think a lot of brands just think it's too hard so they resort to the mean rather than uh like understanding what they can accomplish with their with their stack or or with their agency partner yeah, I mean, or it's, it, there's even like really basic stuff that I think companies have a really hard time. Doing. Like I subscribe to 
an email list of a very large retailer. And they continue to send me only emails about women's clothes. And like, <laughs> I've, I've told them like five times, like I, I, I'm, I'm a guy, I would prefer to have like men's clothes sent yeah. to me. <laughs> and still like they will not, they will not change my preferences. And so I, you know, I think there's like, there's very like base building blocks like that, that like large companies have a hard time getting over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the like really nice things about Shopify and, and the ecosystem of apps that surrounds it is that there, there are AI driven, unique personalized elements that like kind of can be plugged in out of the box and, and maybe it's not going to change your entire site experience and make it so that, you know, like I only see men's clothes when I go to that right. retailer's website. But it does give me unique references or unique products to pick from or, um, uh, you know, recommendations that make sense for me based off of my browsing patterns and things like that. So I, I love that. I also think there's like really small personalization events that can happen. Like I kind of framed it up as micro personalization at one point mm -hmm. to where you know, is is there a, a setting or can the, the site remember my size selection that I've made as I've been browsing through. And then as I go to each PDP, only select that size on mm. the PDP or have that size defaulted on the PDP when I get there. Or, you know, I, we talked with you all about like having um, a, a thing in the header to where if I've got something that's out for delivery, like right. how can I click on that, have it automatically be there when I go to the site and then get information about my delivery and when it's going to be there. You know, I think there's just like, there's loads of like little nuanced things like that that could actually enhance the customer experience that aren't a complete flip of the website and making it so that you know there's there's a completely new experience for everyone that comes there but it can make right. the user experience better um and I, like i don't even think customers would know that that's a personalization thing that's happening you know but but it is uh i think little things like that could be a game changer for you know uh for shopify and other other sites yeah i feel like even you saying like a customer might not even realize like it's the personalization mm -hmm. aspect but you feel it subconsciously like that it creates like less friction for you like the size right like like oh it's already auto-filled or the like banner for your tracking like you go on the website and it's like oh it's right there like you might not be like oh my gosh that's so personalizing that's probably not like the narrative unless you're in this space that you'd be saying to yourself and like notice how efficient that is, but it still aids in that like user experience and that you're like, oh, that was actually a really nice shopping experience. Even if you don't exactly know why you're like have that descriptor of like, oh, right. it's personalized to me. I love those. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, I'm six foot four um, and <laughs> I can't wear like normal sized clothes. And so like, if, you know, this, the sites where I buy clothes, like if I could go back to that site and not have to hit that freaking filter, like every single time that I go there, that'd be great. I would love it. And it's, it's just a small thing, you know, it's like bring your wife flowers on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, it's just small things that make them happy. A nice little act of kindness. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I, I listen to a ton of like our recorded sales and customer success calls just because especially as I like got on board, Andy, very similar to you. Like I was new to e-commerce. I came from the enterprise space. So 
And that like in partnerships, I have to know all of the apps, what they do, how they work with all the rest of the stack, uh, what agencies like to work with what apps and where will be like a good fit for them based on that stack. So uh, I found like the call recordings to be really helpful in that. And one of the interesting things I found early on for new for new sales conversations was brands would say like, we'd show like a, an experience of a client that we work with or like our logo page. And a brand would say, you know, the, the director of e-commerce or the, the founder of the brand would be like, oh, now that you show me that, like I had a great experience with Bill the other day, but he didn't know, right? Like you don't consciously know I'm going to back to the built site to track my package versus a UPS site a lot of times, but the experience itself is so good and seamless that it actually sticks with you and drives repeat purchases really yeah. without you even <laughs> knowing that they sent you down a different experience than most uh, e-commerce brands are currently powering. So, uh, but, you know, sort of by default. So I find that inter- intersection of like what the client or the, the, the uh, customer is actually aware of and then like driving behavior uh, really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, a touch point with the customer is a touch point with the customer, you know, and if you're not taking advantage of those touch points and trying to maximize them where you can get them, it's, it's hard to get somebody to come to your website. Like it is super hard and it's expensive. And so, you know, the more that you can kind of capitalize on each of those touch points that you can get, and you're basically getting those for free, you know, like you might as well take advantage of it when it happens. So I think that's where you guys do a great job is you're able to take those things that are, you know, a lot of customers would consider to be mundane, uh, but then turning them into something that is uh, exceptional versus what they've uh, become accustomed to. And then also giving brands the chance to, to actually have that interaction point with that customer again. I think it's, it's awesome. Love to hear that. Appreciate that. (laughs) We like to think so too. So we just, uh, wrapping up here, give us one tip or trick or piece of advice that's helped you throughout your career. Um, I don't know if I can swear on here. I don't even know if this is swear, but I, I tell my, I've got, I've got yeah. two kids. They're uh, 17 and 13. So they're, I, I guess like technically like old enough to like use swear words at this point, but I tell them all the time, like, just don't be a dick. Like, yeah. like I mean, that's like, it's like half of it, you know, like it is, I, I don't know. I was, I was always like mildly intelligent growing up. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there's some, some benefits there, but if, especially in a services type of business, if you can make it so that like people enjoy working with you, so you do smart things, but people actually like working with you, they're going to come back and ask you to do more smart things. If you do smart things and you're just addicted to people, people are going to be like, man, no, there's like another smart guy over there. I'll go talk to him, you know? And like, they're not going to come back. And I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. I'm probably older than, than both of you combined. But when I, when I was a kid, there was like this whole like ethos within the business world of just like, you have to be ruthless and like, you have to like, Mm. just squeeze blood from a rock, you know, like that was like the, the mantra behind things. And I feel like there's there's been big changes within like the way people work. And I love to see that because it, it is more 
inviting and it is more open and it is more collaborative and enjoyable than what it used to be. And, you know, I think that as time goes on, I hope to concede, I hope to continue to see that happen because um, it just, it makes life so much better if you're just not a dick to people and then people probably won't be a dick back to you, you know? And it's just like, Oh, all right, well, this worked out. Okay. This is kind of nice. Harmonious. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I totally agree with that advice. I think that it's like at least half the battle and I, I'm going to draw a comparison back to my role here at Malomo. Uh, I've been in partnerships though for, I mean, really I started a company out of school and a big part of my role is running that was partnerships early on. So it's really been my entire career has has had to do with partnerships. And one thing you notice like kind of early on is there are multiple solutions that uh, in like whatever ecosystem you're in, your partners have options, most likely. Like there are very few platforms um, that have the luxury of being like, you have to either work with us or like you can't solve for this joint value prop. So I feel that so much because it's like on both sides, like I want to make sure that I, you know, make people's day better when they talk to me so that they don't go talk to a competitor or at least like I'm staying top of mind more so than the competitor. Right. And vice versa. Like if I'm talking to, um, to a potential partner or a couple of them that do sort of the same thing, we can solve the same joint value prop together. Like a huge part of who we end up working with is going to be how we work together how, how enjoyable it is to work together, especially when there's like feature parity, right? So I am very in tune with that advice. And uh, I think it's, I think it's some, some great stuff. Awesome. I, I always like to talk to people that um, like being nice. Life is more fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's full circle. It's been very enjoyable to get to yeah. talk with you and um yeah it's it's been great i i feel the i'm from the east coast and so i feel like being in the midwest now with the mentality of like very cutthroat on east coast definitely was i've seen that a little bit like on wall street yep. stuff and then so i completely agree i've seen that shift like and i hope that it continues to go yeah. in that direction because i think everyone's just happier and i i yeah. stamp of approval <laughs> there's a there's the whole like uh kansas city nice thing i'm sure there's indianapolis nice and minneapolis my brother lives up in minneapolis and they've got the minneapolis nice thing so like hey it works you know i'm fine (laughs) midwestern values all the way right yeah yeah exactly (laughs) all right man thank you so much for joining uh really appreciate it can't wait to get this out to the uh to the audience yeah awesome thanks guys it's been really fun appreciate it Thanks. Thanks.